The ship of Theseus, also known as Theseus's paradox, is a thought experiment that raises the question of whether an object that has had all of its components replaced remains fundamentally the same object. The paradox is most notably recorded by Plutarch in Life of Theseus from the late first century. Plutarch asked whether a ship that has been restored by replacing every wooden part remain the same ship. The paradox has been discussed by other ancient philosophers, such as Heraclitus and Plato, prior to Plutarch's writings, and more recently by Thomas Hobbes and John Locke. Several variants are known, including Grandfather's Axe, which has both the head and the handle replaced. The question of identity posed by the ship of Theseus remains problematic even in the 21st century. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. A production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Tuesday. October 3rd, and today we're going to follow the monkey and determine why Australia is the key to the whole game, and we'll do so with a master of the mystery, Mistimus, aka Brian Shipman, author of the blog whoisstraka.wordpress.com. Shipman penned an essay back in 2011 which really got to the heart of the mystery regarding J.J. Abrams' TV show Lost. His blog tackles the book S, written by J.J. Abrams and Doug Dorst, published in 2013 by Mulholland Books, which presents a mysterious story within a story. It's always a treat to explore the mystery with someone who cares so deeply. Good morning, Brian. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm, I'm pretty well. So I found you by way of your blog when I was trying to just find out more clues about J.J. Abrams' S and the Ship of Theseus. Before we get into that, I'm wondering if if it's J.J. Abrams in particular or mysteries in general that you like to play with? Uh, definitely mysteries in general. However, once I navigated my way through Lost and was left with all of the unanswered questions that it is J.J. deliberately left us to uh, play with. I became a big fan of his, and when I heard that this book was out, I didn't even know it had been created until about a month after it was out. I, there was no question about getting it. I hopped onto Amazon and ordered it and uh, began plunging into it to see what mysteries were waiting there. Was the first thing that you did your Australia's the key to the, of the whole game? Is that one of the first things? Yes. Yes, I was just, I was obsessed with discovering the meaning behind the, the numbers which were never given to us in the series, and that led me on a pretty unexpected journey um, deep into what I've Abrams' um, underlying architecture for the story and the mystery that he left for us to solve. And so you, you call yourself Mistimus in that essay, where did you come up with that moniker? Uh, two reasons. One was, um, you know, if you're trying to establish a username on the Internet, it becomes a struggle if it's something common because you, you land here and there and have to duplicate it with numbers and things because it's not quite unique. So I wanted something unique but that was somehow representative of 
that identity um, mystery. Um, I loved the game Mist, um, so I just tacked on something to the end that I thought would be unique across the web, and it's served me fairly well. Mm-hmm. There's a, a movie preview that's kind of making the rounds right now, but it was a book first. I'm, I'm curious if you're familiar with Annihilation at all. Uh, I don't think... So it, it it's uh it, it's an interesting trilogy. It's called the Southern Reach trilogy, but there are enough common elements with Lost that I I was wondering if whether or not when they turn it into a film, if it would be able to stand on its own without people comparing it to Lost, because there's there's a lighthouse and there's journals and and so there's just enough common you know it's it's on the water. I, I was I was wondering it every now and again there was like a lost rhyme but uh, in looking at the trailer it, it looks like it probably it, it goes a, a different direction it, even though there are commonalities it goes a different direction but so let's talk about lost a little bit I when I read your essay I found it really compelling it was it was like uh, you discovered some secrets could you tell us a little bit about your discoveries. Sure. Um, my original purpose was simply to solve the puzzle. Um, when I was a kid, the Rubik's Cube came out. I was obsessed with it. And solver, um, this is just, you know, the next stage and that chapter of if I see a puzzle and I'm interested in it, I would like to solve it. So that was initially my only plan. Um, the deeper I got into it, I stumbled onto Joseph Campbell, whom I'd never heard of. And in order to solve the mystery, I had to learn everything I could about him. Um, I've always been uh, fascinated by stories, uh, reading them and experimenting with writing them. So I entered a brand new world with Joseph Campbell. Um, I grew up with a uh, spiritual faith, uh, Christian faith, and I began to see a lot of parallels in the storytelling around the world that Joseph Campbell um, discovered and put together, and when I found out Joseph Campbell went and taught at the same college that J.J. Abrams went to, albeit quite a few years after Joseph Campbell retired, I felt that that was probably a big source. I bought Joseph Campbell's book, Pathways to Bliss, uh-huh. and upon reading it, um, it looked as if it were simply the, the recipe book for creating Lost. If I had been J.J. Abrams and I had read that book, I can see how um, I could have just conceived of, you know, that same story and used that, that particular book, uh, which is an amalgam of a lot of Joseph Campbell's writings um, to, to create loss, to create the numbers, to help, uh, you know, 16 different characters go on a hero's journey and use them to evoke that same sense of mystery and journey and the viewers along the way. So how many Joseph Campbell books did you read, or was it the Pathways of Bliss that really was the one that encompassed it all? It was primarily that one. I mean, I also got, uh, I think it's Heroes of a Thousand Faces and uh, some other things, but that particular one kind of sums all those others up. It's sort of a best of, um, and so for that kind of put it all together for me. A lot of people were kind of, well, I don't know if a lot, but some were definitely unhappy with the way it ended. I don't know how you end a show, though. How did you feel about the way it ended? Well, I do remember several episodes before the end, I was convinced that the show would end with the concept of resurrection. 
I just I just saw it coming. Now I didn't expect it the way they did it. That was not at all what I thought. I thought it might be done in a maybe a more literal fashion. But um, you know, the story from the very beginning, the first scene is Jack is Jack's eye opening. You know, the eye is the window to the soul. The entire story of Lost is about the soul of humans, humanity. And so for the show to end with the triumph of the human soul, even triumphing over death, I thought was appropriate to their original intent. Um, I can definitely see why those looking for something less metaphorical or who didn't recognize that that was the intent of the story could understand, you know, would be disappointed. Well, and so this is a curiosity to me frequently is that as humans, we're, story is kind of fundamental that's kind of the the animating force and you get that when you read joseph campbell we're kind of in a literal culture and they want to take a story and literalize it and you know with something like lost there is a literal story but at the same time there's different levels and nuances and what what's literally happening and what that's actually communicating and what we're supposed to take away are different potentially right yeah and i think that's why jj abrams can sometimes be misunderstood and why story can be misunderstood we kind of see story sometimes as you know i'm going to a steakhouse i want a nice steak i want it to be tender and juicy you know this steak was not as good today it was dry and that steak was really good i'd like to go back to that steakhouse and then we're done with it whereas with with jj abrams and some storytellers and the kinds of stories that joseph campbell um, described in his archaeology uh, of story around the world is much deeper than that. The, the purpose of those stories is meant to penetrate down to the real you, not the surface you that wants to, you know, experience the externals of life, but the, the internal you that is on this journey of learning how to embrace being. Um, and if you don't let it penetrate, if you're just looking for that saccharine, that substitute, then it probably will be disappointing. One of the other elements that J.J. Abrams played with a lot in Lost is the idea of meaningful coincidence or synchronicity. I wonder, is this a force that... Yeah. I mean, it sounds like for your journey, you were, you know, following the the clues. You know, here's the next thing you need to understand your journey. Is, is it a force in your life, Do would you say? Yeah, I would think so. Um, I remember when uh, one of the people who read my blog, and then we later met in person, um, I convinced him to grab Ship of Theseus or S and, and read it and tell me what he thought. And the first thing he said to me was, all I could see was synchronicity. And I thought that was intriguing. I had seen other things as well, but that was that was the overarching thing that he saw. Or that, you know, a, a concrete example would be the, the Pathways to Bliss book. Though I had seen um, Joseph Campbell um, mentioned on the season six um, extras on the Lost DVD, I still didn't pay much attention to it. It was just a couple of quotes, and I thought, who is this Joseph Campbell character? I later, nearby work, they were closing down a Borders Books store, and I thought it was uh, sad that that bookstore was leaving, and I thought I would just go browse what once had probably been you know, 10,000 books was now down to probably 500 and there was only a few shelves left. So I just thought, well, what are the odds that I'm 
going to find something interesting here. So I began browsing that one lone shelf that was left, and right there at eye level was Joseph Campbell, Pathways to Bliss. And I thought, okay, what are the odds that I've randomly seen his name in this, you know, as associated with Lost, and then here it is staring at me. I guess I'll give it a shot and, and take a look at it. And that was, you know, for me, what sort of transformed my whole experience on that training. Well, for me, one of the books that kind of had that numinosity or there was just a little bit of sparkle was um, uh, I, it's been a while since I watched Lost so I won't remember their characters names but maybe it's Ben when they have him locked up towards the beginning of the show and he's reading I think Vallis by Philip K. Dick and somebody says read it right. again read it again you might have missed something and so that was right. it's like oh you know it's like Almost every now and again, J.J. Abrams is signaling that there's more going on here and you need to look deeper. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, so then, you know, what did you find out about... So every now and again, Australia is this... It's interesting because there is this Oz-like quality to Australia in, in story where so it talking about fundamental stories the wizard of oz is one of these things that would qualify as you know joseph campbell's type of story that that um transcends time and place and becomes something timeless where uh whatever it is about that story it speaks to it speaks across cultures and across time and whatever the meanings were initially it it's uh a loose enough canvas that you can project just about everything onto it. It really is an interesting story. But so what is it about Australia that compelled J.J. Abrams? Is there more there than just it's a, you know, across the ocean from Los Angeles? Yes, I think so. Um, and of course, delving into this originally, I couldn't fathom at all what, what that would mean. What stuck with me was the episode where Hurley and John Locke and Sawyer are playing the game Risk and, uh, you know, the game of world domination. And at some point, Sawyer makes a move and Hurley kind of rebukes him for it and says, you can't do that. You just gave him Australia. Australia is the key to the whole game. Well, I knew that was more than just a scene with a little bit of interest. To me, that was J.J. Abrams screaming, okay, if you want, if you want a huge clue, here it is. Australia is the key to the whole game. So I can't imagine how in the world that's true. Australia just happens to be the place that the plane took off from. And, you know, what else is there? So keep in mind, on, on the one hand, I'm delving into Joseph Campbell, who's talking about um, what story does when you allow it to penetrate down to your soul. And on the other hand, I'm trying to research the entire history of Australia to figure out what I might discover that would make sense of Hurley's statement. And all of a sudden, as you said, synchronicity, these two things began to parallel each other because what I found was that, and what I believe is that J.J. Abrams was paralleling the story of the search and discovery of the continent of Australia with the search and discovery for the human soul that sometimes we don't even know ourselves that we have. And so originally, you know, even Aristotle posited that there was a southern continent somewhere on the earth that was yet discovered just looking at the map of what he did know he said there's got to be something there to balance that out 
JJ is a big fan of Aristotle. Um, you follow the search down. Australia became known as um, Terra Australis Incognita, which means the unknown land of the South. And then you get into the study of how Matthew Flinders um, and others discovered the continent, circumnavigated it, mapped it, and eventually realized it was Matthew Flinders who realized somewhere around 1802 that this really is a continent. This is not just an island. This is an entire continent. It's new, it's discovered, and I'm going to name it. And then I'm reading over here that Joseph Campbell is referring to story as sort of a cartography um, or helping us to discover the cartography of the human soul, that what story does is help us to discover and map the human soul. And those two things just came together. Um, and so to me, that is what he meant by that phrase, Australia's the key to the whole game. And it sort of helped the numbers come together. And what he's trying to say is, Hey guys, when you just like Jack, you're on a journey. And initially you think everything's on the outside. I can fix everything. My dad told me I don't have what it takes and I've got all these struggles. But by the end, I have discovered not just that I'm an angry doctor who's a drunk and a drug addict, but I am a human being that can choose to become something more than I thought I ever could. So in Lost, there's kind of this, the idea of the island is this place. It's almost like a holographic space where they're, even though they're dealing with external realities, those external realities are triggering their internal situations. And so they're always flashing back to their previous life. It's almost like they're stuck in feedback loops and they need to overcome something from their past or, you know, some kind of moment that really encompasses or encapsulates the blockage to them becoming whole or, you know, the idea of um, reaching their soul in in some way, so it's almost right. it's almost like the island isn't a real place, even though it is. It, it you know it's it's a it's more like a, a mystical limbo space. There are philosophers and scientists these days that are saying, "Oh, this whole world that we're in could be a computer simulation." Right. I just recently read a book called Fantasyland, and and. That author's premise is that we've become too squishy and that we've let our fictions overtake us and, and we don't agree on what reality is anymore. What do, what, how do, you, what do you think of the uh, human mental state these days? Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of the movie The Matrix uh, because I do think what you just said and that, that story does a great job of paralleling how we can, if we're not careful, live an entire life with the wool pulled over our eyes in a fantasy that's not real. And that fantasy is the ego. You know, we grow up, we develop our ego, this identity, and then we believe that is who we are. And then we proceed through life searching for ways to just take hold of fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. And we think that's it. As long as I can be on top, as long as I can feel good, as long as I'm in charge and in control, that's that's the meaning of life. And that is the matrix to, to me. We, we are deceived. Um, and that's what uh, Lost tried to help us too. Because the real world out there, they had their lives. But when you're on a, uh, a plane crash on an island, and as Joseph Campbell says, the beginning of a mythic 
adventure, you have to break out of all rational patterns. There can be no way to even think straight. And, and then that journey begins. That's kind of like what the number four even means. It's the cross. You go through some sort of suffering, some sort of unbearable um, crisis that then forces you to reestablish your identity without the crutches and the matrix that you've surrounded yourself with. Um, and then you really begin to discover who you are. And I'm afraid many people never even begin that inward journey. They're just lost um, in the matrix. Yeah, yeah. And so that's really, that's an interesting subject because, uh, who was it? I just recently, someone was saying that the job of a mother is to product, uh, protect their children from too much coincidence. So there is uh, the importance of ego formation because it's almost like our spacesuit in some ways. It's a psychological yes. survival thing. But like in the movie 2001, at some point you have to leave your spacesuit and go off and find, you know, the truth of existence or, you know, the truth of your your own nature, which is oftentimes the same. I think Joseph Campbell would say that. Whether or not you're seeking, you know, the inner journey and the external journey become the same journey. Like if you go to f right. figure out the meaning of the universe or if you go to figure out the meaning of yourself, you end up you taking the same journey, which is always right. a noodle baker. But right. so, <laughs> so S, you know, so before Lost goes off the air, J.J. Abrams conceives of this this next kind of project, but he conceives of a totally different medium, which is, uh, you know, a literary story but then he it's a really creative thing in that um he's using a book as a way to tell tell multiple stories simultaneously which is you know right. winks at lost too how did how what was your experience with that when it so you you said you found it after the fact but um what was your experience with s well initially i'm thinking great this is a new a new mystery to solve let's delve in um, it was a bit of a challenge at first because um, the cultures that are involved in the story, uh, you're, you're in Prague, you're in uh, Portugal, you're in um, places you can't even name, um, and then you have two college students in America. It was, I don't want to say a disappointment, but you know, you have expectations. I thought I was going to drink a glass of milk and I ended up with a glass of, of tea. Um, so I had to put it down and decide whether or not I was really interested or not. So once I got over the hurdle of, well, this isn't just something I expected and dove back in, it just became more and more intriguing. Cause as you said, there's so many stories to keep up with. You've got the, the main story of the book, which is mainly about S and Sola. You've got the two college students, Eric and Jen, but then you have the author and translator, Straka and um, and um, I can't think of her name at the moment. Um, and so, and you're trying to keep track of all three, and all three have questions just about what is true and what is not true, and um, it just just became um, fascinating. So, just rereading it, meditating on it, coming up with what you know messages and clues are coming out of that became fun. An online community um, kind of came together for those nerds of us that really found it fascinating, and we just had a good time going through it together. 
Well, how many times do you think you have gone through it? And do you think once you discover – so that's the interesting thing about a mystery is that it definitely animates – like a good mystery really compels people to – you know, it inspires people to, to dig deep and to search and to look. Um, do, do you think – I think they packed a lot in there. Is is it going to be rewarding for years to come or is it something that you can you can figure out – in a matter of, you know, a, a couple years or so? You know, that's a good question. I think it depends on the reader, and that's probably one of the messages behind S is the reader is part of it. You can't, you can't separate a work, a literary work, from the reader objectively and call one the book and one the reader. It's meant to explain that each person that comes to it creates a unique work in and of itself. My experience with the book is different from another's. My pursuit, um, I mean, it's been almost four years now. I had expected to sort of walk away with all the answers, you know, after a lot less than that and haven't. And there's just some that don't, don't have the patience for that. They just want to read the story and, and be, and be done with it. I want to find whatever else may be out there. Sometimes I don't even know if there is anything else out there. I'm pretty sure there is. I'm pretty sure we're meant to one day figure out what S's name is. It starts with S, but we don't know what it is. I'd sure like to know. I'm still digging. Um, and so it's, I guess it's what you call an ergodic literary work. It, it does require you time and effort um, to follow the rabbit hole or go down the rabbit hole as far as you can and, and see what's down there. Well, we were talking about the idea of symbol and the literalness of story do you think the same you know the same way how how metaphorical is the you know the initial beginning of okay so for listeners who aren't familiar the s the core of s is this fictional book called the ship of theseus by vm straka a fictionalized author and so that work is a standalone work, and you can actually get the audio book from Audible and just listen to that. But then that actual book, you, you know, so that's the fun thing about this work is that you're holding the document yourself, um, is annotated by Eric and Jen, like you said. And so you have this kind of story of discovery between these two people who are discovering this work together because they're they're bringing their own thoughts to it through these different colored pin marks in the actual text itself. I'm wondering, did you have a text that you marked up? Because like you said, a, re- a reader brings themselves to the work. You know, I couldn't bring myself to do that to the actual book. I'm sort of a, you know, I wouldn't call it a shrine, but to me, it needs to stay as it as it came to me. But to me, the blog is my markup. I mean, it's separate from the work itself, but that's that's my markup was to just flesh out my thoughts uh, online and, and share it with others to communicate back and forth, which is probably the intent. Um, Eric and Jen communicated back and forth as they discovered the work, and now in some sort of meta fashion, one layer up from that, we now have others who are annotating the work and others commenting on it. Which is, so that, like, that was the thing that really excited me was... Books are really a kind of a 
analog culture, not that they're analog, but because they're so linear, where with the book, you have a beginning and a middle and an end. And for the most part, you have to, for it to make sense, you have to just start at the beginning and read through to the end. But because of the the marked up nature of the of the book, it really became this almost all connected simultaneity where it takes a little while to figure out that some of the marks that you're reading right off the bat are some of the last things that happen. Right. Yeah. Oh. So by focusing on so like with because it's called the ship of Theseus, and this is all about the nature of identity. When, you know, what is what is true? You know, it's interesting because I guess I didn't think about it that hard until just now. But, you know, it's this idea of what is what is the truth of of something, even after everything changes. Digging as deep, right? Dig- yeah, exactly. You know, what What did you discover along that nature? That has to be, you know, like, what is the most important thing that you found in S? A uh, big part of it's identity, because, you know, it opens with a man with amnesia who has no idea who he is, where he's at, why he's there. He has absolutely no past whatsoever. So how do you, how do you establish an identity without past? And you think about J.J. Abrams, I think one of his, I think his first film was regarding Henry with Harrison Ford, where you have a, a very difficult man to live with and work with um, who gets shot and has a brain injury. And when he recovers, he has amnesia, but he's a completely different person. He's kind and considerate, compassionate, and has to reestablish his identity. So JJ seems to be very fascinated with memory as associated with identity. I think John Locke um, delves into that as well. But to my, my first thought was, yeah, how do you establish it? for yourself, for myself, who I am, if I am stripped of everything that I would typically say establishes my identity. If I'm separated from my family, my friends, my job, my location, and I'm in some place that I can't control, do I still have an identity? Um, And if so, what does it become? Have all the boards in the ship been replaced? And am I still the same person? So just the journey of S as he attempts to discover his identity I think is also meant for we ourselves to figure out what it is that establishes our own. Yeah. So walk us through the plot of that just a little bit. So like you said, so there's a, a man is walking by the waterfront and he doesn't know who he is and he gets grabbed and put on a ship. And what is the, what is the journey from there? Yeah. From there, he thinks he's been Shanghai, um, but yet he's not, made to work. Um, they call him by name, some name that we as the readers are not given, but that he hears and that the Maelstrom sort of captain-ish character of the ship knows. Um, S then believes, well, since I've been put here against my will, I need to escape. That's my only goal. So he manages um, to escape. He stumbles into another unknown situation where he meets several people. This is around October 1906. And he stumbles into a scenario where there's a strike at a factory. There's good versus evil. There, uh, there's a bomb explosion. He ends up fugitives with um, several of the protesters of the strike um, and makes friends, but they're all on the run as fugitives. And he slowly loses those friends over time. 
He ends up back on the boat after that journey. He has no idea why he went through that. Um, the boat ends up at another location where he's let off. He has an experience there. He gets back on the boat and this, this sort of repeats itself. Um, uh, the, the details make it a lot more fascinating than just such a cursory overview. But um, I think the point is the boat in a lot of ways represents his identity because um, the, the boat is destroyed when he first leaves it. And yet at the end of his uh, journey with the strike workers, he rediscovers the boat and it's been put back together. And um, I think that is a parallel for what S went through. He had absolutely no identity, but during his time um, with the factory workers, he established new memories, new friendships, new heartaches, and he's all now put back together with some level of identity, and so is the ship. And so the ship's um, status sort of parallels his own as he's trying to figure out who he is. And how did you read it the first time? Did you read all the pieces together simultaneously, or did you start with the the core story and read it through? Yeah, I had, for me, even though it's, it's fairly difficult, you can't help but let your eyes wander at times, but I, I read just the story initially, probably in too much of a hurry because I get, I get a little bit anxious to want to know everything at once. So I read the base story fairly quickly. Then I went back and started trying to read the margin notes, almost not even paying attention to the fact that they were different colors, which obviously represented a different chronology. So by the time I went a second pass through with the notes, I was thoroughly confused. Um, and But at least once I got that far, I allowed myself to go online and see what others were discussing. Um, and that became, you know, just part of the journey itself, is meeting others who were as interested in you were. Um, and since then, I've gone back through many times um, and tried to, re- say, just reread all of the blue in black ink, the first generation of Eric and Jen, and paying attention to what they're annotating and trying to let that story then flesh itself out. Because it's a lot harder to follow the Eric and Jen story because, as you said, it's it's scattered without any particular chronology. And we 21st century Americans believe that chronology is everything. We have to order it. So um, I end up in that same boat as well. But you don't necessarily have to. These are just experiences, different parts of the ship. It, there were also, you know, so there's also the the thing, the inserts, and there are, you know, they, when you buy the book, it comes in a certain order. There's all that. But then there's also a whole world of online stuff, like different places and clues, too. I wonder how how widespread your exploration became. Did you... I mean, I, I think there's, with J.J. Abrams, he's willing to let things be mysteries for a long time. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, yeah, I think, I think at least for me, what is Canaan, for lack of a better word, is there's a Jen and Tumblr uh, blog um, that has a few things. There's a website called theoakvoswheel.com. Uh those two things in particular, I believe, were created by Doug Dorst and are just um, uh, meta works to accompany S and you know bring in as part of the story. Um, there's lots of others that are either just blogs about it or there are some that attempt to appear to be Canaan and they're just fan fiction. 
um, which Doug Dorst appears to have no problem with. I was involved with about five others at one point a few years ago, um, and we did a little bit of fan fiction. And one of them actually contacted Doug Dorst and said, you know, is this cool? And he immediately responded and said, this is great. This is, you know, kind of part of what we hoped would happen. You know, go for it. Do what you, do what you please. Do you feel like you're you're done with it, or is it something that is still compelling you to uh, pick it up every now and again? Yeah, I don't think I'm done. I don't think I'll be done until I know two things, S's name and what follow the monkey means. I think those are obviously left there for us to ponder and discover. And though time doesn't permit nearly the detailed explanation I had before, uh, I say time, it's probably more... I do still explore. I do still have a theory that I'm working on um, that will probably be on the blog before the end of the year. It's just kind of overwhelming uh, to try to figure out a way to uh, summarize it in a way that makes sense. But um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's uh, it's fun for me to, to follow it, those puzzles to their end and, and see what the um, intent um, of the creators was and how the story unfolds. With with the follow the monkey, so that happens relatively at the beginning, right? Is that well? There's a phrase at the end of the book that everybody seems to have taken, just like I took. Australia is the key to the whole game, where um, a character named Anka has S is dropped off on a river at the shore of the river line um, to climb up the mountain and face his ultimate sort of challenge um she says to him follow the monkey and s doesn't know what that means but he just says of course there's a monkey there's always a monkey and then he finds a he finds a tree with sort of a monkey um carved into the face which marks the beginning of a path and that whole thing right there to me is a is a small metaphor for the story as a whole there are scenes where we come across this monkey and I'm certain that what J.J. Abrams and Doug Dorst are telling us is if you look closely enough, every time you see the monkey, there's going to be some sort of clue that helps you understand the story better. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to give it another look here. Uh, besides J.J. Abrams, is there anything else that you're fascinated by these days? Um. Yeah, you know, anytime there's a new sort of Rubik's Cube that comes out, I'll delve into that. If there's a, I do find it challenging to um, find stories that are as interesting um, and mysterious as anything that might be produced by JJ. So it's kind of small. So what I have been doing is I've been working on something myself. Someday, if I can ever figure out a way to write dialogue, I'll have my own book that I hope is just as mystery-evoking as JJ's and it, you know, it centers into the life of Galileo and some other things. And so I'm sort of fascinated um, by the nonfiction uh, mystery that still surrounds a lot of his life and his discoveries and the church's reaction and things like that. Now there's one other artist that I feel similarly about and that is, is just as mysterious, but uh, way more dark. And JJ Abrams is pretty violent, but, uh, are you familiar with David Lynch at all? 
I'm not good with names, but if you tell me what stories he's been involved with, I might know. Well, Twin Peaks is the thing that he's most known for. And oh, okay. Yeah, there was a, a reboot of Twin Peaks this summer, and it was just as... With David Lynch, you'd really never know, is this important or does this just kind of look cool? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. I might have to look into him. It's it's really uh, there's definitely the idea of mythic underpinnings too, so there are there are you know substance leads, but at the same time, you just never know. Right. Okay. Well, you've you've, you've laid the bait there. I'm probably gonna gonna take it. Okay. Well, it it was fun talking to you. That was 42 minutes. Okay. Great. You bet. Sure passed that. It, it did. Um, you've been listening to Brian Shipman on 42 Minutes, a production of SickBook Radio on the SickBook.com. Uh, for more information about his work, we'll link to his blog, both Nobody's the one about S and also his essay about Lost. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, or to check out past shows, or to subscribe via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. Um, if you like this podcast, check out others as they as currently all the SyncBook Radio archives are free until year's end. We also feature a great search engine to help you find what you need. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. Thanks so much, and uh, keep digging. So I just feel my sorrow with the words you borrow from the old. Uh
have sins, love, but not today. Cause they're gonna wash away. They're gonna wash away. Friends of that, not today. They don't wash away. They don't wash away. Wait, it's all I'm gonna take them away. 